Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. The show The Office may soon become a historical document on what office culture was like. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Alright, today I'm with, obviously, once again, another teacher, and this will be the last of the teacher interviews. I'm not sure how I'm going to roll from here. You can expect a, a solo episode after this, and then moving on to season three, may, I may mix it up. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to go, but this is the last teacher interview, and I'm glad that this guest is going to kind of end the, the teacher interviews, because I think he has... He's going to have a lot of stuff to share about filmmaking and just the filmmaker's experience. Um, this guy's been teaching at Mizzou for five years, originally teaching editing and has moved to teaching cinematography entirely now. And, you know, he would just describe himself as a filmmaker, doing a little bit of everything. And we'll kind of get into his journey, get into his advice for young creators. And I'm here with no one other than Kamau Bilal. Welcome to the show. All right, nice to nice to be here, Sean. I think this is pretty cool. Uh, I don't have I don't know if I have many know of many podcasts uh, in terms of like people that I've met that are actually doing them. I hear a lot of them, but right, it's cool to meet a creator doing, yeah. it, especially a, a student, some who's got like a passion for something and he's like just doing it as an extra. Is this an extracurricular thing for you, or yeah, is it a part of any yes. kind of? Yes. <laughs> nice. I, I the, love that. I love it. <laughs> part of the school of life, you know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's great. I often open up with this, uh, a similar question of origin story, but I kind of want to mix it up. And I just kind of want to dive right into it. And I think I was doing a little bit of looking at your work, uh, looking at your portfolio. And one of the things I came across was a article you wrote for Filmmaker Magazine kind of at the beginning, mm-hmm. near the beginning of the, the pandemic. And I thought it was so mm-hmm. insightful, so touching. And I really haven't touched on COVID because this podcast has been made entirely since the pandemic. And I've intentionally in- avoided mm-hmm. it. But after reading this, I think it's worth talking about briefly, especially in regards to being a creator during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. just, I wanted to say a, a little quote from that, from that piece. And I'll link it in the show notes that really stood out to me was just, I'm just going to read this whole little paragraph. So this is from, uh, Kamau's article in filmmaker magazine. If this as in COVID were a forever situation, what would I do to fill that hole? That hole is in not being able to make films. I've never really wanted to consider that I might stop or be forced to stop, but that is the question on my mind as of this writing. So that's what I'm doing now, pretending I will not make another film ever again. Why? Well, I've, I've realized is that I don't have something to fill that creative void, and that has me shook. I have other parts of my life, thankfully, that are quite full and fulfilling. But do they just spill over into that hole like a syrupy sweet. I love that line. 
but that creative energy has to go somewhere. If I'm unable to ponder these questions, however difficult, ultimately, that would be against one of the very spirits in which cinema and art exist. So I just want to hear, I mean, the mindset of writing that to the mindset now, how has it changed being a creator in the pandemic? Yeah, that's funny. That that line that's in there, Syrupy Sweet, is a is like an homage to a Langston Hughes poem called Dream Deferred. And in it, he just at the first he asks a question when he opens it, he says, What happens to a dream deferred? And I can't I don't know the whole poem, but it's like a series of questions and one of them is like does it crusty does it crust over like a raisin in the sun or something like a syrupy sweet um but that's where that comes like because it's like the whole idea of being a filmmaker and the idea of like creating art in this medium is is about is is a dream right like you have a dream that you want to try to pursue and there's a point in life and i was really kind of reckoning with how does that dream look in a world where like the industry of making films just kind of disappeared like overnight almost. Right. It just was like poof, you know, there were projects that super excited about doing and and, like writing. And then just all of a sudden it was like a task to do any and all of that. Right. To actually shoot something was almost was impossible there for a moment. It's gotten better. And I did shoot something in August uh, that was, you know, kind of really got canceled right up like as soon as March and April was supposed to happen. But then, you know, gone throughout the summer, I was like, oh, is this going to come back? Um, but, you know, you shoot some things, you know, but the task, I think, of also still just being a creative, right? Because I've spent a lot of time writing this last year and a half. And I found that to be an arduous task, too, because it feels kind of like you're uh, you're inserting yourself or trying to go into this alternate reality of, of, of uh, fiction, right? Or just like trying to maybe reconcile like the world that's around you. And then like, you're trying to make art in it. And so you just, I feel like there's this natural sort of confusion that your body is going through and you're trying to like, you don't really, I don't even know what it is, right? I can't really put words to it, what it is, but it just feels kind of like wrong in some way. Right. It feels like, how am I, how am I dealing with, like, how am I trying to do this? And then you have moments of joy when you get into it and you do it. And then there are moments of like, because then it's also like, okay, I'm writing this thing. Will it ever, will it ever get to make it? You know, it's like <laughs> industry has gone or whatever, you know? So in, in some ways I think like my, my thinking has gotten better with regards to it, but it was, I think I, and I still do honestly go through the sort of thinking, like the, the question of that, that paragraph that you read asks is just like, Okay, what is ultimately what is like, what do we use this art form for? What do we use any art form for? Is it helping us as humans in some way, right? And if it is, I always sort of firmly believe that films and art, whatever you choose to be, to do, is like you're asking some kind of questions or you're in dialogue with some kind of question, either about the world, our humanity, society, politics. You're not really necessarily offering up solutions, I think. Um, and so when I remember when I was just... When, way back when it was like really going through the thick of it, that was where I sort of like, for whatever reason, that was the, the question that popped into my head. And it was just like, I don't know that I have really reconciled it or have a better understanding of it. I know that like I've gravitated more towards trying to understand 
what I want out of like art and what do I want to like put into it. Right. Does that make sense? Like I want, it's, I mean, it's not just like, it's, it's like if, if we're, if you're trying to ask questions about like our humanity or whatever, then it seems like a very deeply disturbing question to have to ask also. It's just like, well, what if we can't actually make this stuff or do this? Then yeah. are we any less human or is there any like, you know, what's left after that? And that's like, even just thinking that now, like it makes me smile, but also makes me deeply sad Yeah. because it's just like, there's like, it's, it's confusing, you know? Oh, it's man. like, wow, if I'm really a human, I actually have to reckon, I actually need to think about that. Yeah. You know, like I can't not. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting. And I finally feel comfortable to where I want to ask for your support. So in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck, five bucks, or ten bucks a month. Now this money is going to help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators, by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. And I, I liked what you said about, you know, as a, a filmmaker, just an artist of any kind, you're offering up these questions and not necessarily giving out answers. And I think that is kind of a, a unique thing about art. I mean, if we're comparing it to something like science, where, you know, science will have the firm answers, but art is just, you're looking at these things, trying to decipher a meeting that two people could see completely differently. And it's just merely asking the question might be good enough to get people to think about it. And I, I think with the, the uh, quote that I read of yours, it almost seems like a, a meta dive on creating in general, as in if as a creator, you're constantly asking these questions, the ultimate question would be, what if you can't create, what if you can't ask those questions what if you can't offer them up then what do you do and I think in that little piece you you touch on okay you have other parts of your life that are fulfilling um but I, I do think that creating and you know offering up those questions touch on a different itch maybe mm -hmm. that's not the right word that uh family and friends mm -hmm. and relationships mm -hmm. may not be able to fulfill just because it's something Absolutely, separate yeah so I think another part, um, just if we're keeping on, not necessarily COVID, but just in the present times, I, I think one of the unique things about you, obviously you're my cinematography professor currently, but you're also a student right now. And I know you briefly mentioned that in class, and I just want to hear what what is kind of that experience of being a student and teaching simultaneously? Like, do you look at it, do you look at um, your students in a different way, or does that make sense? Does that change your perception at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it certainly helps, it, it's, it, it helps me be, be more mindful about what it is to sit in that seat as a student, right? Like, I'm always, I consider myself a student of cinema, even if I'm not in some sort of formal 
education environment, right? Like there's so much you can pull from it or whatever. I can, I think within the confines of COVID, it was interesting that I had that perspective and it helped me uh, empathize more with under trying, okay, I'm trying to create on just alone, right? Like as a task, right? But now having the sort of burden or the, uh, the confines of like, oh, you now have to do this assignment or whatever. So it was just like, it helped me really understand, okay, what is going to be an appropriate amount of, of stuff for people to, to really do realistically, right? Like with the world the way it is, and can you even shoot, can you even create, can you dig up the energy to do that? And I was just trying to be a human before I was, um, I don't know, whatever the other thing is, right? <laughs> Somebody who could empathize and understand that, okay, I get it, you know, like, if you can't do it, then let's just like figure out a way to do something, right? To say we're we here and we tried or whatever. Um, because I think it's a learning, it's like a once in a lifetime learning thing that we're going through. And it's not always like, especially with us, you know, cause we're artists. It's that is, you should be like, you should be reflecting on it in some way. Right. You may and not have, are you the, talking about the pandemic? The in thing general? you're, you're going to, yeah, I guess I'm talking about the pandemic mixed up with also teaching too during it. Right. Like, so the pandemic is this experience that's happening and you're supposed to learn something from it. Right. Like, or take something from it. Um, patience is something that's really grown in me beyond measure, I would say. Um, but being, I mean, just being also so getting back to your original question, I guess, just sort of like thinking about being a student while also, you know, teaching students, it's, it's really the thing that I really take from it. And those two experiences, just remembering what it is to be in that seat as a student. And I think the great thing about it, cause you know, I have, um, I mean, just in general, like when I, I am preparing classes and things like that, you know, you, you hear something from someplace and you're like, oh, that's a great thing for my students. When I'm also, you know, in an education environment myself, I have, you know, mentors and people that I can pull from that then directly sort of sci I can use as things, and things, tools for my own classes, right? It becomes like a fresh sort of like a fresh source of water, right? Because it's like <laughs> without the confines of, I guess, COVID, the way that I, what I was drawing from the well of inspiration or the well of fresh water was like my own work, right? It was like being a professional, either going and working with other people on their films or I'm making something and then that becomes a tool for me to use in the classroom. Without that, because of COVID, it became like, oh, okay, at least I have this, you know, I have this thing that's happening and we do this residency and I hear from all these great filmmakers and then they can become voices in my you know, what I can use for the students in, in class too. So um, it helped me, I think it helped me in that regard, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think when it comes to kind of the, the student versus the teacher mentality, what I've noticed is a great thing about a, a lot of the Mizzou teachers in the kind of visual studies department is they're drawing from work experience, from being in the industry, however that's going to be defined for them. But I, I do think, you know, you're kind of watching, you know, the, the artist residency is from what you briefly described, it, you're kind of watching these great filmmakers and being able to ask them questions. Isn't that kind of a big part of that? So do you think that there's different things that you're drawing where it, let's say you're 
you know, doing the work yourself, um, whether you're working on a film and now you're bringing that, those insights from when you were doing the work and you're bringing it to your students, do you think it's a different mindset when you're taking inspiration from other people, hearing their answers, and then kind of converting it to uh, your students? Like, I mean, can you kind of see the differences between those two and maybe describe how you might think of them differently? Sure. I mean, and one was pretty eye-opening, I would say, in particular, because my my mentor, this the way this program is set up that I'm in now, you have just faculty mentors that you have for the six-month semester, and you rotate through them. And this semester, my mentor is uh, this world-renowned filmmaker, Lucretia Martel, um, and I watched her film Headless Woman, which I'd been meaning to watch for years, but finally watched it because she came and did a talk and everything. And it's interesting because when she gave her talk, you know, it was rarely, I mean, it's about like, it's about, it's about cinema, but she always would refer to it as the audio visual, like history, right? Because it's like this idea of what is cinema becomes almost too big a question. And because there's so many different answers to it. So she just sort of bare, she, she broke it down to the sort of audio visual history that we have. And I think it was right on time for me, because this happened in the last, um, this was in October of this year, and the way she was talking, it, it 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 jived so well with the questions that I even was was posing in that article that you mentioned. The sort of like, what was the purpose of this, right? Why are we doing this? Why are we making this art? Why are we here gathered, you know, in this you know this, this group of students listening to these filmmakers trying to make these films? And this world is like falling apart around us in some way. Um, and she had like the way she spoke for whatever reason, because it wasn't necessarily saying these things, but it, it always sort of was tied into like humanity and like being human. And cause it's very easy, I think, to get lost in whatever art form it is that you are, um, whatever art form you practice. Right. So you can get lost in it. And then it's almost kind of like, why are we in here if we're just lost down in this thing? Right. You got to be able to come up for air and you have to be able to interact with the world in some way that's like purposeful, I think. And that's true of any sort of industry, I would say, um, not just art. Just, I feel like people who are businessmen or doctors, they have an art form or some part of it that is artistic to them. Um, so when she spoke and she was able to kind of like that, helped, like it was like it was something I was like feeling in my heart because you saw it in that article, I say. Right. And then she was able to do it. And I was like, OK, so it's not just me. It's like I was seeing it in the way it was like being reflected in the way she spoke. Um, so I was like, OK, this is a valid thing. Now, how do I apply it um, like in terms of my classroom or whatever? So I try to use the same language or I try to just like try to remember that this is a thing we're doing that's supposed to enhance our existence on some level, um, which is not really. I mean, like, obviously, there's like that, that is definitely tied into the way that I approach the art form. I think it was difficult for me to maybe put words to it. And so hearing somebody else do it in a way gave me, I don't know, I don't want to say authority, but just it made me feel like, oh, that's okay. And I think that's a hard part of it. A lot of times just wondering, is your is your thought valid in some way as an artist or as a, as a person? So you're always sort of trying to figure out, you know, how do I <laughs> how do I express this? So then when you hear somebody else say it in, in some other way, then you're like, okay, so how do I parse that into language of my own or whatever? So, um it's a, because it's it, but it's two very different worlds, right? Because when you make something, the experience that you take from that is so unique and interesting. 
and it's not really just buried in theory, right? Which other the other way it could be, like you could also just be trapped in this theoretical world, which is dangerous, I think, when you're just starting because you don't really know how to interpret the theory to apply it. If you haven't made something, you're not really applying it to something. So I think film professors or just professors in general love to to get into theory, which is fun and everything. But I think it's it's like being a student now also helped me remember like you have to be, and I have this also, I have the, the understanding of having made several things now to know how to apply theory to it. So when you haven't made a lot or you're just starting out the theory, you don't really know what to do with it. And so it's just like, Oh, it's like the base level, simple things that are like, who cares, right? Like a low angle represents this or a high angles, like get out of here. Like, I don't care, you know? So it's just like, there's a certain level of that and you have to kind of ignore or get, you know, just move past, I think. So, um, yeah, well, I don't know. It's just so swirling. Yeah. I mean, you, I feel like there are multiple angles I could go from that because you gave me so much in there, but <laughs> I, I want to touch on this yeah. idea of the theory versus creating the thing, being in it, doing the work. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think what it comes to, film school and i'll describe mizzou as a visual Mm -hmm. studies program as film school there is the emphasis Mm -hmm. on theory because i think there's a good balance but obviously Mm -hmm. it is mainly on theory but let's say Mm -hmm. someone is either you know before they're in college or they decide not to go to college or film school and they just start Mm -hmm. pounding the pavement they buy a camera, they start making YouTube videos, music videos, whatever they want to do, and they're not so concerned about the theory, do you think that those two people grow up to make two different types of art, or do you think they eventually kind Mm. of find their middle Mm. ground as they both become Mm. professionals in the industry? Mm -hmm. I think you're going to do, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run into whatever road it is at some point. So you're going to, you, you hit, like you're saying, you get this guy or this girl who's like hits the pavement, just goes to make films, which I think is excellent. And through that, you're going to naturally find your sort of theoretical thing, right? You're going to, because you're going to, you're going to put things into muscle memory that you weren't, didn't like, did, that you'd have to figure out along the way, right? The hope, I think, with maybe in a film program, if there is some theory, you're like you're thinking that maybe you're going to be able to get some of that in there along with the sort of technical growth right but the way i think about it even more and more is just like i don't know i think i don't know that when you're starting out that you really know what to do so much with it i think it's really fun to listen to right i think it's really interesting when you dig down into it to a certain extent can't be too much right um because it almost like it has the opposite effect in some ways where, the, and that can happen from a technical perspective where it's too much and I don't know what to focus on. Um, but I think naturally both people will sort of like can end up in the same position, right? I think you're either with, with doing it on your own and just starting, you're going to naturally start to ask those questions about why is this and why am I going here and doing this or why am I putting the camera in this position and what does that mean? you know, for your own self and you develop as an artist, um, in a natural way, I would say, um, if you're, if you're in like a film school, the hope is that you're going to get some of that theoretical stuff along with this. Um, you're like trying, I think 
it's interesting because it's like I wonder if there's some sense of that you're, you're able to like skip ahead a little bit is what the hope are you're trying to like not necessarily skip ahead but you're trying to maybe truncate or shorten the amount of time or at least become aware of right that those things exist when you're just starting or something you may not even be aware that they exist i think if i think back to when i was making films you know your perception of what theory is is very different from from then to what it is what it becomes so i think i think maybe the hope is that you can become aware of it earlier so that you're at least oh yeah i do remember that was said in a class or something you know and then maybe you're like planting some seeds and those seeds are like hope right like okay you will you'll return to this at some point you know once you're comfortable with like all of the technical aspects of it perhaps i think and i think to transition that slightly to a point you made earlier of just this idea of kind of the distinction between the artist you who creates and doesn't necessarily know how to relate to the and the mm-hmm. human who relates to everyone who mm-hmm. can communicate i i wonder do you think that if the the human kind of side of you the one who can communicate what you tried to do who knows how to explain the theory mm-hmm. I, I guess to put that into a a question form when it comes to communicating your art your film why you made the choice you did do you think that if you're able to kind of put it into words if you're able to say you know i had this mm-hmm. shot because it followed the rule of thirds and that light is kind mm-hmm. of red and it gives the impression that this person is angry very subtly. Do you think that's necessary? Do you think that helps in any way as a filmmaker to be able to like articulate kind of the choices you made? Oh, you know, I think it's, it's maybe helpful after sometimes, but I also think that there is, a lot of there's times when you may be doing something that you're not really sure why you're doing it, you know, like you may not be sure why you're using the color red or why you're framing it this way. It just felt right in that moment. And that's the thing that I think is more important to to sharpen maybe as a student or as a as an artist is just sort of believing that whatever that instinct is uh, and not really knowing why you chose it or what it is. And then embracing that as being the thing. And that's, I think, is like the sort of chaotic part of it that you're always trying to wrestle into submission. You know, like that's why you have this like, oh, use red for, you know, this sort of meaning of lust or violence. And it's like if you applied that at every point in your thing, then you would be closed off to other things that are maybe in your vision, but you're not seeing. So you're applying some part of this language that you saw and took from somewhere, which is fine, but you missed out on, I think maybe perhaps the, the ability to communicate um, in your own language. Right. Cause it's just like, it's it, because it is a language, you know, and many people have said that, but so we all communicate differently, right? I speak a certain way. You speak a certain way. We have different types of body language that I, rest my hand in a certain way or I pop my knuckles in a certain way that becomes something, a way of communicating. And so it's the same thing when you think about like films or art or whatever, right? Like it's, you're trying to find the way that you communicate within that medium or in that space. 
And you may not always know what the theoretical thing behind it is. You may not always know why you like it. And I think that's fine. And I think that's the scary thing uh, because it feels like you're always supposed to know. And you listen to filmmakers who've been working for 30 or 40 years and they have a better sense of that just because they've been doing it for so much longer. Right. So they can start to say those things. But when you're starting, you're like, well, how do they know? You know, how do they know that that's what they liked or that's what you know they were trying to do or intend behind it? Um, they may they, they maybe they didn't at some point. Right. And they had to figure it out along the way. And that's fine. Um, and it's OK to, like, have your own language within that space. I think I don't think you need to have I don't think you need to like be able to say, oh, this without a doubt does this. Right. It's just like follow that instinct, whatever it is. And, you know, run after it yeah. as being the way that you're trying to trying to communicate, I think. Yeah. And I think um, and I don't I, I've heard this. I don't know which director I've heard it from, but just kind of like mm-hmm. sometimes a red door is just a red door and it doesn't have a deeper meaning. Yeah. And it looked good. The door mm-hmm. was there. There wasn't some mystical meaning that yeah. some theorist is trying to get mm-hmm. to the bottom of. And I think there is sometimes that idea of like analyzing to death and kind of killing the point because yeah. the point was just to enjoy the movie. But just one thing that yeah. I wanted to mm-hmm. add in really quick, just for the people listening is I, I feel like on this podcast and just the past couple of guests, especially you, I focused on filmmaking. And mm-hmm. I think that's because that's the thing I love. That's the thing mm-hmm. I know. But I think this kind of advice, the way we're speaking, you could easily sub out the word filmmaker for writer, for mm. painter, for musician. Sure. And I, I think just mm-hmm. any viewer who isn't yeah. necessarily a filmmaker, doesn't want to be a filmmaker, just kind of make that mental uh, translation in your head. And I think that'll help make this advice or just this talk feel more practical. But I want to transition to the the question that I kind of didn't ask at the very beginning was, your origin story. Mm. How'd you get to mm. filmmaking? And, you know, we talked about the kind of theory or just the run and gun. You started without the theory. Which kind of person were you growing up? I was like, I think I was the person that just kind of started. And I was in, you know, high school doing the thing that you do in high school where you just like, you start making skits or whatever. And it was something I didn't mind doing. You know, I would like edit for fun, which wasn't like, and I think at some point I was just like, well, I like editing. So then maybe that's like a job, you know, at that time, you're not really thinking job or career, but you're just like, I like it. So let me keep pursuing it. And from there it was like, oh, let me go pursue an education for this. So I went to Webster in St. Louis, which was, you know, it was a, they had a video film, they had a video program, a film program and a broadcast journalism program. Uh, I applied to film. I got, I didn't get in because I didn't have a portfolio and you needed a portfolio to like, you know, submit and okay. And I didn't have that because I didn't really have the tools of making, like I had a video camera and I just made silly skits with my you know friends or whatever. So I tried to make the video program into a film program, right? It was just like, oh, I like making shorts. So that's what I spent most of my time doing. Uh, and then when I graduated, you know, I came back here to Columbia and started like just doing some freelance stuff. I edited a couple of feature films that was just a way to kind of keep going and turned down a job that I thought, oh, maybe I should take in that, but I didn't. Um, and then you start doing commercial work and like kind of getting like trying to make money doing it, right? Like, okay, let me, you know, shoot some commercials or shoot these corporate videos or whatever. And then, you know, the DSLRs came out and that's when I was like, oh, let me buy one. Since I bought one, I was like, oh, let me make a film again. 
you know, that was probably four years after I graduated that I was able to get a camera that was my own and that I could start shooting. So from there, I just sort of stumbled through the process of making, you know, documentary because it was like, oh, I don't need all of the resources that you may think you need for a fiction film. And you do by some reasons, right? I don't really think about when I'm making a documentary that I'm making this documentary. I'm just like, oh, I'm making a film. Um, so I was just like, oh, let me make a film, right? And it's on Facebook. And I think I found somebody that was went to high school with. And I was just like, hey, are you? He's on a football team. I had no interest in football, but it was like, oh, there's, an, there's like a season. So that's a beginning, middle, and an end, you know? Um, and I just like stumbled through that process of, you know, learning how to tell a story. I felt always pretty confident as an editor. So I would say that gave me the confidence to like shoot something that I knew that I could edit into some, something watchable. Right. So I always, I think, I think that's one thing I always try to enforce is at least, Oh, if you feel like you can edit something, then you can shoot it and you can put it together in some way. So um, that's kind of my origin story, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's just sort of like, and then from there, it was just like making more short documentaries, just whatever I could do that's close by, I think, mm-hmm. you know? And so did you kind of, when you were first making those documentaries, were you still finding mm-hmm. those odd jobs, those like paid jobs as mm-hmm. kind of the editor or, you know, something mm-hmm. else while you're kind of making those docs? Yeah, well, yeah, it was. I was doing, you know, some commercial work at the same time. And also, I think at, at one point I was um, a driving instructor. Like I would wow. teach people how to drive. It mm-hmm. actually was a, a very flexible, well-paying job. I think I would get like, we charged $65 for a lesson and a lesson was like an hour and a half and I got like 40 bucks. So I got basically, so I'd be like, I'd go out for three or four lessons in the morning by noon, I'd have 150 bucks. I was like, okay, you know, let me go shoot now. So it was that, it was a mixture of that and some corporate commercial work that would come through. So allowed me to buy a camera, allowed me to keep shooting, buy more equipment. You know, you're just sort of funneling your money into this, uh, into this dream, you know, Oh, I need a new microphone. Okay. Now let me get some lights, you know, you sort of build it that way. And then when you get those things, you know, you feel like, Oh, let me experiment with it and try other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, it's just like that period of experimentation, I guess. Yeah. And still experimenting, I think. Yeah. And I, I posed this question to, uh, Melissa Lewis of kind of, mm-hmm. did you ever have a ambition of moving to a kind of more classic, filmmaking city uh la new york um like atlanta now um or chicago did you ever have that ambition yeah i mean I, right after i graduated i had applied to to grad school and i was like oh i'm gonna go and i got on a wait list to go to this nyu had a like a singapore thing like they had just started like a like a distant listed distant learning one and i got waitlisted and then they didn't i think waitlist and then not on the, didn't have a spot so i was like okay i'm not going looking back i think immediately afterwards i felt a sense of relief i was just like oh i didn't know how i was gonna pay pay for that <laughs> yeah i was just like i was obsessed with film i was obsessed with film and i knew i wanted to do more of it and i thought the way into doing more of it was this sort of hundred and fifty thousand dollar, you know gallop through the world or something which i'm grateful that i didn't um, get that opportunity and then there was a job in new york that i you know was asked and it was like an mtv uh assistant editor position which was going to have me using after effects a lot and i just hated after effects like i wasn't an after effects person 
if it had been anything other than after, if it was like a tr- just like a true assistant editing position where you're working to put together a show or something, I may have been lured into that. But because it was After Effects, I was just like, I don't want any part of that. So the desire to go and do that kind of was just like, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm not just going to go and see if I can find something. I love New York, though. Uh, I could see myself moving there and, and doing that, not necessarily even just to be a filmmaker or whatever, but just to enjoy living in that city. Um, and there's times when I went back to L.A. just recently within the last couple of years because I was shooting a project that I visited. And I was like, first time I went, I was like, I don't really like it. But then this last time I was like, I actually kind of like it. You know, it was just like this nice weather. It's everywhere around you. Sort of it's like immersion of film. You know, there's like, oh, this great, you know, let's go watch Lost in Translation. It's playing at the New Beverly and it's like a film print. And it's like, oh, all these people are that interested in film, too. It's just like it's complete immersion on that level, which is like good and bad, I think, you know, like it's good if you're like a film lover can be bad because it's just like this weird bubble. <laughs> um, but, I've, you know, I, I feel like I just I feel like I wanted to make films and something that I've discovered by staying in Missouri was that I wanted to make films that like have a distinct sense of like place and felt. Um, and this is not necessarily something that I started like, oh, yeah, like this is I know that I want my films to feel like this or look like this it was like oh it was sort of like a happy accident of, of discovery like oh just by being here and shooting like the film is gonna like in the world of history of film or whatever there aren't images that we have a lot of associations with because it's you know it's the midwest and you're seeing cities all the time and movies like this sort of idea of regional filmmaking in a way that is like so deeply rooted in a sense of place i think is an amazing and probably the direction that like independent cinema and just filmmaking in general really needs to kind of like embrace more of um, because like when something is, because then I think when you have this really distinct sense of place and then you're making that, making that film almost for the audience, it's an audience, it's a worldwide audience, but it's an audience that like that locality knows the insides of, right? So it's like, you don't have to explain everything about that world it's just like a discovery of that world, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's the way I think if you can, if you can em- embrace that form of filmmaking, the sort of idea of regional filmmaking on a nice high level, yeah. that to me is very exciting. And, and when you yeah. refer to place, do you refer to that more mm-hmm. when it comes to documentaries? Or do you think narrative films can mm-hmm. really express place, can really express regional Midwest uh, and attitude, mm-hmm. I guess, if you want to put it that way? I think so. I think they can, you know, like fiction films. If you embrace, if you embrace the, I guess the, the tools that I try to, would, would try to embrace would be the same tools that I use from documentary, you know, this sort of, not even just like if we think about resourcefulness, but the way you learn how to construct a film, the way you learn how to, what you learn to look for. It's amazing. You know, like at times I remember, being at uh, my residency, which for my MFA, and I remember a filmmaker, she was telling this story about a film, and in it, you know, she was like pointing out this moment, and it's from Dog Day Afternoon. It's like a moment in there when Al Pacino is like wrestling with the gun and he can't get it to work properly. And I, mean, I can't remember if she was telling the story or if she was imagining that this is what happened on set. And she was saying that, oh, just imagine on set where they were like, could have stopped, like, okay, cut, he can't get the gun to work properly, let's reset, we want it to move smooth. 
And in the film, it exists in the film as a moment, right? It's like he, he's wrestling with the gun. And he can't figure out how to make it work. Um, and they, it's in the actual movie. And she was sort of hypothesizing that, you know, a lesser filmmaker would perhaps cut and then stopped it. Let's get the gun to work, reset, do it so it works properly. She was saying these are the moments that you are looking for when you're making a film. You're looking for the chaos of life. And when I when I when I listened to her say that, I was like, oh, like that's what the natural sort of training you have when you shoot documentary is to look for. <laughs> right? You don't really know that when you start, but that's what you start to realize when you're shooting all day for maybe 10 hours and you just realize most of life can be very mundane and it's a person sitting around when something silly like the gun doesn't work or you drop the drop the glass becomes an actual moment that you would be happy to get right and you're sort of training your 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 body and your your vision and the way you see things to start seeing those things so i see that as being a very natural progress because when you're making a fiction film really you're just making a documentary of like this fake world right and you ultimately want it to feel like a documentary so i don't know this is i can't remember what the original question was but like it's it's you're you're sharpening you're sharpening your sense about seeing something that you hopefully could potentially still see if you're on a fiction film set because the world of a fiction film set becomes the sort of like claustrophobic vacuum in some ways. And you, it's interesting how like these really big filmmakers, you know, if you think about big, you know, like um, big films that came out recently that have this, that approach like Roma tree of life, you know, listen to these, these, like you read these articles and you read the stuff about how these filmmakers would like, oh, let's have the kids run through this scene just randomly, right? Like, you'll send the kids in, you know, into the middle of a take. And I'm like, oh, that's like that. That's just documentary. So it's like the, they always they always bend towards one another, right? Like, any good documentary is going to bend towards wanting to be fiction, and any fiction film is bending towards trying to be a documentary, right? You want the, to, you want the world to feel authentic um, and so you not feel like it's this false um, reality, and through that, I think you really do get that sense of of place, right? If you don't have that in a fiction film, then I think you you missed an opportunity, right? There's some there's some great good fiction films that have a really deep sense of place. Uh, Cold War is one, right? Like it, it's like I mean that's and it's like it's like and when I think about that film, it's many things, but it's like oh, it's like that film is like it knows where it is and it knows it just knows itself, right? And it's not like trying to present something that it isn't or is inauthentic. You know, that's what I think of when I think of sense of place. Yeah. And I think, I, I guess, just to nail this point f for myself, what would kind of be an example of a film that doesn't, that kind of misses the mark, that isn't uh, authentic to its place? Mm. What's a good example of that? I mean, I can't, I don't know if there's a, maybe an example of a film, maybe it's, it's the way it's executed. Right. And I don't want to think about the tropes or like, Oh, we're hitting the beats. It's just one that maybe misses, um, misses the deeper level of a place. Right. It only gets the surface of a, of a space. Right. Like it's, it's, it feels like it always has to explain to the audience as if the audience needs to like needs to know the nuance of a of a place right like when you when you're really in a sense of place you let the audience discover that place just by throwing them into it when you when you when you don't trust the audience to pick up on that then you're going to explain something and then i think the virtue of like trying to explain something almost always sort of leads to very simple explanations in my mind or something right so it's 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 just about it's about trusting 
I think that, you know, it's also, if you think about the visual language of cinema, like, what do you cut? Like, you know, there's the, the, the like, oh, you have three or four shots to introduce the, the space, right? With these, these shots. What if you got rid of those? And now it's just like, you're in there that creates some sense of like, oh, I don't really have a grounding, but like, I trust that this director or whatever is taking me somewhere and I don't need to see, you know, the water tower or whatever, right? Like, I don't know, like, it's like the world that it exists in. You're just in there, you're just immersed. So I'd have to think one to really try to figure out, but it's more of like a feeling um, of like, you know, what is that film not doing? You know, is it trust the audience? Um, yeah, yeah. I think really that's... Deep, get down into the world. That, mm-hmm. That's a really interesting idea of just place in general. But I, I think you've kind of been touching on this a little bit too, the sense of discovery within filmmaking especially Mm. documentaries but like you just mentioned there's those examples Mm -hmm. of in in narrative film and i was watching uh an interview that you had with about crown candy um the documentary Mm -hmm. and i think it was your co-director that said this but i I just really love this point Mm -hmm. and it may have been you but uh one Mm -hmm. of you said you know you're not journalists you're filmmakers you didn't show up because someone called and said there was something wild going on. You were there, you were talking to the Mm -hmm. people and you found the story. You discovered the story by kind of experiencing Mm -hmm. it firsthand. Can you touch on that idea of discovery versus, I don't even know what the opposite Mm -hmm. of that would be just contrived, I guess. Well, yeah, it, it contrived and you'd also go in there with some understanding that you know what the story is. And then that would disturb your sense of place dramatically because now you're just looking, you have this sort of tunnel vision for execution, right? Like, okay, I need this, this, which can be useful for knowing what your story is. You know, all I know what I need. And that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking more about like, oh, I'm going to ignore all the things that may be happening in front of me that are the story because I have a, a, a preconceived idea about what it is, right? And I think you feel that in a film or a filmmaker when there is no sense of discovery, Right. Where, oh, this script that we wrote in a room against a wall, you know, with maybe a window was like all existed on the page at some point. Right. I can tell a film there's something about there's something very special about a film. And the word I can only come up with is discovery. Right. Like you feel that every bit of that filmmaker was like a question that they had. And this is the answer, not necessarily the answer to that question, but this is the representation. This is the visual representation of the question, right? Like, oh, they had a, we had a question, okay, what is this, what is this candy shop in North St. Louis, right? That was as simple as the question was, what does it have to do with, you know, Mike Brown, right? And then, so then it was like, oh, all of these elements, we are waiting for them to tell us how they collect in a way that becomes something that expresses what we're feeling or seeing in the world at that time, right? So when you're closed off, to that, you lose out on that discovery, right? And then even when, you, when you're closed off to discovery, you're closed off to transcendence. And transcendence is often the moment in any film, be it fiction or nonfiction, where, oh, that's the moment that, like, is the movie, right? And it's especially true with, I can speak from the perspective of documentary because I know, oh, like, I can see each film that I've made and, like, maybe what is the moment that made me really gravitate towards it being an actual film. Right, whether it happened while I was shooting it or if it was something I found when I was editing it. And um, let me see, I just had it for a second and I forgot. 
transcendence and discovery. Transcendence is tied to discovery because you're waiting. Like if you if you close off discovery, right? If you close off the idea that something is going to unfold in front of you that you're not sure of what it is, then you're not going to be ready to be surprised, which is what transcendence is. And you need you really need transcendence to make a film. There's not like you know like it's just the thing that has to. There's something that has to happen in it that like transcends your expectation and your expectation to be you're waiting for that thing to happen because if you if you can expect it then it you're gonna it's felt in the way you use the camera it's felt in every part of that right yeah. so you're when you're when you're surprised the audience also feels that surprise yeah I think. and i think I, I love that point of you know discovery leads to transcendence but i think if we go in reverse of that you you can't point a camera for 24 hours a day doing whatever. So you have to make that initial kind of point of, okay, we're going to focus on the candy shop, whether or not we know if there's a story, how do you get up, go about picking that, whether it's a place, whether it's mm-hmm. an envi- mm-hmm. uh, an event, like how do you go finding it? Is yeah. it, yeah. What, what is your process for that? Mm-hmm. I think for each of them, it's just like, either it's a question that you ask, Right. Like, or it's something that you notice that you're just like, oh, and that makes you curious. Right. So with Crown Candy, I can say it was like, oh, here's this little candy shop in North St. Louis. And all I remember about it, this is my conversation with David. He's like, oh, all I remember about it is that like it's in this black neighborhood. And then I went in there and it's just all white people. And so then it becomes like, oh, well, that's interesting. What does that mean? Right. And that leads you as like almost like a breadcrumb. Right. Because honestly, immediately after that, there's a setback. And the setback for that, I think, because when we went to do an original scout, we were like always in our mind, it was like, oh, it's like right down the street from where Mike Brown was killed. So it was like in our mind, it became this like little bit of connective tissue that we needed in order to like, oh, this is the film, right? Like it's connected to this because it's right down the street in some way, right? We get there, it's actually, you know, miles from it. And it's not like a direct, you know, it's like, oh, right around the corner or whatever. But it become it be, that was like a little seed for us to keep going, which is what you honestly need, right? You kind of need these little seeds um, that allow you to keep going. When I think about my other film, Baby Brother, it was just me watching him and his be like his behavior that I felt was like, oh, there's something inherently very cinematic about the way he expresses himself, uh, the way that he moves, the way that he talks. You know, moments of surprise that I found. If I was talking to him about anything, he could be looking out of the window. Uh, he could be in the other room, and he's like, oh, dude, there's a squirrel, and he'll start crying about the squirrel. And I was like, this is just an interesting person, right? So that became then for that thing, oh, there's the reason that I want to start that film, right? So it, it may not be ultimately what the, the film is about, but it becomes the reason for you to, um, to pick up the, the camera and go. Yeah, and I, I think you have such a unique view as kind of you see things through the the lens of a documentarian. And I think that is so, I, I feel like that's such a, a, a gift, I think just to the, in your, your filmmaking. But I wonder if we're talking about this idea of like finding the breadcrumbs, do you have an example of that personally, or just that you know of for a, a fictional short film or feature film where you can kind of point to the breadcrumbs. Like in terms of like what kept you going? Uh, yeah. What, what in that way came about? How did the idea come about? How did it become real? 
Mm-hmm. Like what? Like when you said, um, so, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could. I mean, from my own perspective, I can think about it because I'm writing a feature and it's fiction, and it's set in this neighborhood where my dad grew up in St. Louis. And the breadcrumb for that became it was like, oh, this is an area where uh, it's really de- it's really depressed. Like there's a lot of abandoned buildings and blighted homes. And I went to visit one day, and I think I just turned thirty. It was like 34. I was either 35, maybe 34, because I'm 37 now. And I went to go visit. I was like, he took me there when I was a teenager, and I decided to go back just like within the last three or four years. And I remember having this moment where um, I went to go look at the house that his childhood home, and it was just gone, right? It was just it was non-existent. And so then for me, the question was, oh, where did this house go, right? And then from there, I started to put together a story of like, oh, what is this, who is the characters, what is this home that, that used to exist and who is the character that used to be in it, right? So that's what I would say is the first sort of like little breadcrumb. And then as you start writing, like that is like the, the foundation. So now it becomes, you're trying to figure out what the answer is, not necessarily the answer to the question, but like, what is the answer to, what is the answer to that step, right? Or like, what's the next step beyond that? So I think it's easier for me to say that because I know it from my own perspective that I'm making it if I think about other filmmakers and what they, it's like, I can't even like surmise what was, what were the things I know that that's a part of the process though. Right. Especially if you're making a deeply personal work, you know, like, and I think those are the films ultimately that resonate the best, right. Or ones where they're laborious and they take time and they are a question. And it's not just something that maybe it started on this page, but like at some point it has to transition from this page to be like, the world and you're not boxed into everything that's happening like oh we wrote this thing which is interesting enough right let's now then just use it as a blueprint um not even a, it's almost like a little map or a guide you know is an, a reason to exist on a set with characters <laughs> right because now hopefully those characters bring and add dimensionality to all of that stuff you know in a way that is surprising and new you know and because like, that's the stuff that i I think is really exciting like when an actor maybe can take it to being real and becoming like oh this exists now and not just these characters saying whatever these lines on this page but now this person takes it and actually makes it real um in the world of fiction Mm -hmm. yeah i i kind of want to transition we're definitely uh stretching almost to the one hour mark but if you are still mm-hmm. having a good time, I would love to keep this going for a little bit longer. Yeah, I can I can do another fifteen or twenty if you, if it's yeah. Let's do it. So just have a four o'clock thing. Yeah, I want to transition to kind of advice for young creators, and mm-hmm. I, I think one thing you mentioned when you were kind of explaining your journey as a, a filmmaker was after film school and not getting into the uh, New York graduate program, you were kind of just, mm-hmm. f- I guess, f- like find a, finding opportunities, but it seems like you didn't have mm-hmm. a set place you wanted to go. Is that correct? What would mm-hmm. be your advice for yeah, someone absolutely. in that in that place, um, like right after college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I looking back, I was like, wow. I, anybody that asks me now, I tell them just go immediately to one of those cities. Like I just tell them, Hey, go to New York, go to LA, go to Atlanta, Vancouver. Now Chicago, those are places where you're going to get some, 
you know, you're going to get some relevant experience and you're going to be able to see and develop more relationships than you are in a smaller place. And ultimately, everybody is going to have their own journey within this thing, right? There's not really a right or a wrong way. You know, one opportunity is going to lead to something else. It's a very small industry. So if they can really kind of collapse at some point, um, I think those larger cities, like going there just now, like as soon as you graduate, just looking back, now is the time when you're younger to be able to do that because your life, you can still hobble it together. You know, like you're coming out of college, you know what that, you know what it is to live, right? Like to live a certain way. It's like, okay, I can live a little bit harder initially, right? And I can explore, do I like this like mode of working, right? Do I like working on set, you know, or do I want to go into something that's like post-production? Um, and then that's the time to really explore that. Um, when you're younger, like just out of college. So, and knowing if you can know, like, oh, I do want a crew. Okay, let me go try and do that for two years, right? Or do I know that I want to be a, a cinematographer? Okay, how am I going to, like, what are the steps towards trying to get that, right? Do I follow the trajectory of, like, getting on a camera camera team, a camera department, working as an AC for, you know, however many years, and then graduating to maybe... The, the, the gaffer or something like where you start to see the different components of putting an image together. So if you can say to yourself, well, I like doing that enough to the point where I'll try it for a year or two years to kind of check the box that I'll either say, yeah, I want to keep going or put an X through it. It's like, I tried it. I don't mm-hmm. like it. I want to see something else. Yeah. Those are the years to do it. You know, those like those five or six years right out of college um, it, when it, you really get to. Yeah to cut through that experience as a follow-up to that how how can uh a young person like myself kind of combat that sense of impatience of just wanting to jump straight to it uh of being the the top cinematographer if that's uh what that person wants to do if being you know kind of the the top how do you kind of i don't even know i think i I think i get what you're saying like there's, there's some ways there's like there's a, there's a line of like, you have to pay your dues, not in the sense of like, oh, I have to be the low rung guy or, or girl, or whatever, and then work my way up. But the, the, the paying your dues of like getting to the point where you're making images or things that you're actually like happy with, right? There's some, in some ways, there's no shortcut to that, right? It's the sort of the process of making things. So if you do want to become like, say, a DP, then you need to be trying to shoot as many things as you want, right? As you are, as you can. And you can probably do that. Like you're, you're obviously you're going to be able to do that in a place where more people are doing that, right? So it's like, hey, I'm available to shoot. I'll do it, whatever it takes. Let me do it. And then, obviously, you're like, you're going to get that experience, which is going to lead to doing it more, right? Which is going to lead to you like making better images, right? The first image that you make when you like say you just moved to LA or whatever is going to it's not going to be it's not going to be as good as like the tenth image that you've made, right? So I think that's like the only shortcut is like, okay, I'm just going to decide that I'm going to do this. I'm going to shoot and I'm going to keep doing it until I know it and I'm great at it. Right. Cause honestly, like practice is really all you really need. Um, now the, but the possibility of like going from that to like, say you want to shoot Marvel movies. Like, I don't know the relationship between like, is there a path in which those two ever converge? Right. Like it, there, maybe there is, I don't know. Right. Like maybe you, after shooting so many features, you just get into the union and now you can marvel it or whatever. If that's your ultimate goal. Um, 
I don't know that it's that because there's there's still the politics of it that can exist, right? That's sort of happening behind the scenes or whatever. So um, I know like the indie path, right? Like, oh, if you're deciding, okay, I love shooting indie films. I want to shoot deeply personal work with filmmakers. And I want to have this deep collaboration with them. And it's going to be like, you know, these films that we, I don't know if you've seen films like Days of Heaven or uh, films where it's like a small group of filmmakers that get together to make this movie and they just love it. You know, there's a path for that. And it's like, okay, I'll just keep making these types of movies and I'm happy with that. That I can understand and like shooting those and shooting that, like it's just a matter of doing it and doing it a lot and living a certain lifestyle. Um, Trying to get into like this world of like, oh, I'm a studio film DP or whatever. It's like, that's a little bit foreign to me because it's like, oh, there's a certain level of, of politicking that's also involved. It's not as simple as just continually shooting and shooting. Yeah. And, you know, and there's do, a certain level of maybe bureaucracy. Do you think that there's potentially a third or more paths in, in regards to something like kind of the, the YouTube path, which I'm not saying I think is easy by any means, but the way I see it is kind of there can be that third path of people creating maybe not uh, documentaries or fictional narratives in the classic sense, but they're creating, they're creating regularly and they're able to sustain it. Do you see that path as um, maybe not viable, but you should just observe that path in kind of the industry as something that's emerging? I mean, I absolutely think it is like, and it's like, cause you said that you're creating and you're doing it constantly right and i think we don't really know the answer to what that maybe the end of that thing is i mean i know i've seen certain different types right of different creators that maybe and they i don't know do they ever want to bridge or get out of that world or they just want to are they happy to do that i think i think that there absolutely is though right because you're creating right like you're making something that's yours and you're learning through that experience of making it which is like an invaluable uh, an invaluable thing, right? And it's so, it's like, it's funny how, because like YouTube is like, how old is it now? It's like, is it like 15 years old or 20 years old? Or I was like, like 2005 know, like still, or six was kind of its okay. inception. But it's, it seems like it's still young enough where there's still so much, because like the, the creators are changing, right? It's not just like one mode of creating. It's like, oh, now I do this and then I do this. I was like, wow, if you can actually, there's people, and there's people who make large songs large sums of money, you know, doing it, which I think, Hey man, if you can do that, great, go for it. And especially if you can take that and then funnel it into whatever your creative practices go for it. You know, I think ultimately it's like, you're making it, it's becomes your, becomes your voice or way of expression, you know, do it. You know, like if you're trying to get, if you want to do YouTube to maybe make movies or like, why not? Right. Like what's the, like what's stopping that? You know, I think that's, that's a part of the world that we live in now in terms of like what people are creating and what mm -hmm. they're making. Yeah. And I don't think anyone is stopping it, but I think in, in regards to film schools, there just, is it that emphasis yet? And I think it's because it's so new. Do you think that that could be something where, you know, if you're talking to a class and you're asking, um, you know, where do you want to go in the industry? Like, a third of the people are going to be like, I'm going to keep making mm. a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. Do you, could you see that kind of developing as we I, get deeper I, into it? Honestly, I have, and I had a couple of students already that, you know, that I, I did an independent study with a guy and he was, he, he was very much, his whole thing was making a YouTube channel and he wanted to just like have these different modes 
of like, oh, I'm going to have this channel is going to be about all the things that I love about different things. Right. It was like games. It was films. It was like music. It was just like a smorgasbord. And I was like, it was my way of seeing into, oh, wow. Like, and he, I remember him telling me, he said that he didn't like, I was like, do you like fiction or nonfiction? Do you want to, because I found him to be a pretty good editor. And uh, I asked, did you ever like imagine yourself editing like fiction films or nonfiction films? He's like, no, I don't really have a desire to do that. I really just want to make, like, I like this YouTube stuff. And I was like, that's great. Like, go for it. You know, like, especially if you like it, right. Then that, that's going to be a passion that maybe helps you through, you know, the time. And so that was like, that was probably the first time that I really was like, oh, there's students that are really like, that is what they want to do. You know, and I was like, oh, I could see that too. Now, like, there's, there's like, I think your generation, maybe the generation that's like really officially grown up with YouTube as being like a pastime. You know, like cause I even now find I find myself now, like sometimes at the end of the night, that'll be where I spend an hour, an hour and a half. Right. I'll just like look at a hundred different micro clips. You know, I get NBA. I get I get somebody running around with a gun and, and call of duty. And then I get, you know, some clip from a movie and then I get a speech. It's just like it's like a <laughs> it's this weird sort of like, oh, it's a way to just unwind. And I don't have it's not like a large commitment. You know, it's like 30 second chunk, one minute chunk, two minute chunk. If I don't like it, I'm out of it. You know, it's, it becomes this like very, it's a part of the culture, I think, which is kind of like the consumable, like, oh, like I can just chew it up real quick, you know, which could be, could be good and bad, right? I can just eat it very quickly. If I don't like it, I get rid of it. Um, so the patience to like, or do you not even the patience? Maybe it's, you know what I've actually thought about? Because I think about Netflix or Hulu is like, you have to go in there and make a decision about what you want to watch. With YouTube, like you just get these recommendations. You don't have to think about it. You know, it's just like, oh, I'll just click, you know, and I'll just watch the next one. And we sort of like it's weird how we went from wanting to be able to do that with our cable TV, like, oh, I want to just choose to watch it. So when we had that opportunity, now it became a burden, right? It's like, oh, I, 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 it's like a chore to try to find something. Mm-hmm. Whereas with now, like on YouTube, it's like, oh, it's a pretty good algorithm. I can just chew this up, you know, yeah. just spit it out. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't want to turn this into too long of a conversation, but I, I've touched on this in other podcasts and I, I feel like it's so important, but do you worry about what these kind of micro videos, do you think that they're stealing something from kind of the, the heartfelt and not even heartfelt, but just long form mm-hmm. content? I, I, yeah. You I know, it, does, it, it, it does. It's doing something, right? I think we'd be, foolish to say that it's not doing something i don't know and i think you look at like hollywood doesn't know what to do they started that thing quibbly or whatever it was oh yeah that kind of fizzled like short and i was like oh that's, yeah i was like oh that's not what people want they don't like, necessarily want like they want something that feels handmade you know like they, you got this great scripted thing you know that's not necessarily what people are getting on youtube for or snapchat or tiktok or whatever um i feel like it maybe is it's making people's patience a little less right like so if you want to sit there and watch an hour and a half movie, you may be less inclined because you're sort of used to, you know, the quick hit of like, Oh, a minute, two minute, three minute thing. Maybe that's the direction it all heads. I don't know. You know, they tried it with that quibby thing and people, people don't want it. You know, they don't want short form, highly, you know, scripted and very polished looking things. You know, they want this very handmade thing, which I think is cool. The fact that it's handmade, um, I don't, I, it's hard to say is that is it's, it's, it's interesting more than anything. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's just like, oh, we don't want to sit and watch an hour and a half movie or a two hour movie, perhaps. Maybe that's a larger commitment than sitting and 
watching just like a two or an hour and a, an hour and a half worth of you know three minute clips or one minute clip. It doesn't. I don't want to say it makes me sad or it makes me anything. It's just like that's the direction that that things are heading. And I would say that you'd be a fool because I mean the you. I look at my I look at my children. It's like wow, the youth are. It's such a stupid cliche when you say the youth of the future, but it's like they forge the like they forge and make the decisions about what the future is, and they're pushing it in whatever direction it's going to go, right? And like whether you like it or not is not the point, right? Like that's not going to like you have no something you don't even have a say in the matter. You're just on the train, man. This is the world, and you are just a but a blip in it. You know, and the train is right now. It's like, oh, this is the direction it's heading. So, like, now I just sit here and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. You know, I know I have certain films, things that I watch that are comforting to me, and I enjoy that. I don't want to look at it from the perspective of, uh, oh, geez, people don't want to have to go have the attention spans, or people don't want to do this. And it's like, that's just the reality. So, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't have an answer for yeah. it. You know, and there's a, a, an interesting kind of like observation in history and I would have to find the link. So take it with a grain of salt, but I was reading something where the amount of TV people watch jumped. I want to say like in the sixties, it might've been the seventies and it's when creating TV shows became abundant and there weren't just three channels anymore. And people realized they could have it on as kind of background noise, like kind of wallpaper. And I think right now with YouTube, it requires basically your undivided attention because it's your phone, whereas a TV kind of on the wall, you can keep it on, you can keep the volume low and kind of tune it out. And I, I think it's always going to be that idea of what's abundant and what's scarce and people are going to run towards what's scarce because it seems more valuable. And, and I think to bring that to YouTube, which is massively abundant, I only subscribe to a handful of creators and when they produce something once a week or once every, uh, every two weeks, I am usually all over. I, I'm not the best on, uh, keeping up with YouTube, but it's, even though it's so abundant and there's so much noise, there's a handful Mm -hmm. of people that I will give my undivided attention to. And I can't say that there's something like that for TV for me currently. Mm, yeah and that's and that's man that's kind of like the there's one show that i really love and it's called succession i've said that in class i think uh it's on hbo but i've tried i've tried i've had i've tried a number of these shows when i think what people just like what you're saying like i think people feel out like when something is filler and i think so much of it's like oh we need content you know that's what we need we just need a lot of it we need to keep going you know but like you said abundance and scarcity is like the scarcity of quality it becomes very clear right oh like you said there's a handful of YouTube creators that you follow and you watch their things when they release. Same could be said about, you know, those quality TV programs, you know, there's a, there's a few that you're like, Oh, I have to watch that. You know, whenever it releases, if it's like all of them at once, or if it's just like a weekly thing, um, that, that quality kind of really does bubble to the top. Yeah. Yeah. And that just sparks something that I, I feel like is worth saying is I think because of this, YouTube and just social media creating the network effect. I think we lean more towards people and less about the content, which Mm. I think will have to be something that potentially, you know, the narrative filmmakers and uh, documentarians have to lean Mm. into because I I think of 
Yeah. The most notable directors for me personally are Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese. And that probably mm-hmm. makes me seem very basic for being able to mm-hmm. rattle off those, but probably not be able to rattle off a lot of other directors. But I think it's because, mm-hmm. yes, their style is so distinct, but I know what they yeah. look like. I've seen behind-the-scenes stuff with them. I've heard them talk about mm. their own work. I've heard Quentin Tarantino talk about mm-hmm. how he writes dialogue and hearing their outside yeah. perspectives. I think that's what inspires just what I'm doing is mm. I'm going to continue to make short films, yeah. but I'm doing mm-hmm. blogs where I'm just giving my personal reflections. I'm making these podcasts where I'm able to share my thoughts with uh, yeah. someone like you and hear uh, wisdom from someone like you. Um, and it's kind of getting that all encompassing where it's, you can hear the outside, uh, how things work. And then you get to see it in action mm-hmm. where it's, we're now showing and telling. And I think both are important when it's, when we're yeah. in such a connected society. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Yeah. But as we wrap up, I always like to mm-hmm. end on a a final question, and it's simply: Can creativity be taught? Why or why not? And you can decipher. That, what was you the can, question again? Can creativity be taught? Why or why not? Oh, okay, that's a fantastic question. And you know, one thing that I in in my class, this uh, that exercise that we do at the beginning of class, alchemy. Mm. If you remember that, yes. that is my answer to can this thing be taught? Can you right? explain so it really quick? The idea of, yeah, because I guess this is a podcast. Nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. What the hell is alchemy? <laughs> <laughs> so alchemy is this little exercise that I do where, you know, I have the students bring in uh, a, a photo or a still frame from a film or a piece of artwork and then the hope here is that we put on the screen and then people sort of talk through what they're seeing um, to try to kind of turn what is something visual into like a spoken idea or a word, but mostly it's trying to get out. Okay. What does this person see? Is it something? Cause really it's like a matter of seeing the world, right? Like that's something that everybody has this vision of the world. And I think what that exercise tries to get at is, you trying to really hone in on the way it is that you see the world and to speak about it because that's the thing that we don't trust so much and we don't think that it's unique. And that to me was like, Oh, this is the one little exercise that I have like figured out some kind of thing. And this is the, like the idea or the hope is that that is like not necessarily teaching creativity as much as it is like trying to let people see their own creativity as it already exists. Right. So I think that's really all you can maybe get close to in a classroom environment is like seeing where somebody like allowing, like giving, creating some sort of opening for a student or a person to make that connection on their own. Because ultimately, like, that's the only way that it's going to happen is that person has to discover it. So that being the way that I found. Otherwise, it's like, oh, like, here's how you here's where you put a key light or this. You want to shoot an all day interior these is, this is what you should take with you, right? Like, Oh, you want to have this light and have these things to be able to shape it. Like those are very kind of like, you know, you can measure those things like, Oh, do this, this, and then this, you know, but then really what the important part of filmmaking is everything that happens in front of that, (laughs) in front of that light, right? It's like, who cares really what the light looks like at the end of the day? Um, 
it's like what took place in front of it. What are they, what happens in front of the camera that we really want to, you know, that we're there for. So I don't know that you can beyond that exercise. My God, it is like, cause there's some classes like the editing class that is just phenomenally. And people are like, Oh, how do you teach editing? I was like, well, you have to do a lot. You just like, there's no real way to teach editing. You have to like students have just have to edit. They just have to edit and continually edit. And then when you, so the best way that I found with editing is like, show what you're editing, we'll sit together and we'll just do feedback on, okay, so why did you make that cut? Okay, why didn't you do this? And then talking through it, again, it's the same idea, right? You're just trying to create the opening of, here was this creative problem that you had, here's how I tried to solve it, did it work or didn't it work? You know, And so then that becomes something that you, you put in your toolbox as like, oh, you know, now I know not necessarily what to do, but I have a tool that can maybe help me in some other situation. So yeah. I can't say that creativity can be taught as much as maybe you can create openings for people to discover their own creativity. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Uh, Kamau, thank you so much for coming on. I'll be sure to link the kind of the films we talked about as well as that one article that we started mm. off the podcast with. Okay. Is there anything people that you're kind of working on that may be out in the near future that has come out recently that people could watch mm. i mean i'd love to tell you stuff about it i'm working on but when i feel like when i talk about it it just becomes worse and worse and it never finishes so <laughs> i won't mention anything i'll just let you know if i finish it then here you go I, I shot that documentary last if you're interested in baseball long gone summer it's on espn if you want to if you love mark yes. mcguire and sammy sosa the 98 home run race so it was yeah. a fun shoot uh, and also a fun nostalgic ride down, you know, history. If you remember, yeah. I don't know if you. My my dad and I actually watched that uh, when it came out. We watched that together. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's awesome. Nice. So I'll be yeah. sure to link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll see you come out. Thank you. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.